Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Customers will be at the heart of much of the energy transition. No longer does the boundary of the energy system end at the meter. EVs, heat pumps, batteries, flexible loads will all play a big role in providing services to customers and the energy system. Now, we're all customers, so we all have our own views and insights into what's important to us. But if you're listening to this podcast regularly, um, then you're probably not a typical energy customer. So today, we're going to take a broader look at customers' needs and wants, how customers uh, react to certain propositions, and look at highlights of some of Delta EE's research with customers over the last years. To help do this, I'm joined by two colleagues, and let's say hello. First, David Trevethick, who leads customer research here at Delta EE. Hello, David. Hello. David, um, you've worked in customer insight for many years, not only in the energy industry, but also in other industries. What have you learned about how different industries think about customers? Yeah, hi, John. Yes, so I've worked in consumer insight roles now for uh, more years than I care to remember. Over 20 now, I think, in sort of media and technology sectors, as well as energy for companies like BBC, Sky and Centrica. So in terms of customer centricity, I'm sure people won't be too surprised to hear me say that I think the energy sector lags behind uh, most other industries and is now effectively playing playing catch up and that's really because for decades you know the sector has not really needed to cha- uh, to engage uh, the consumers um, for their business but times have certainly changed and now it's vital really to put the consumer right at the center of business planning and, and that's because you know power is shifting to the consumer greater choice and options um, perhaps combined with greater service expectations from outside the uh, energy sector and this is true both in the, in the commodity businesses as well as energy services. So solutions will have to become more customer and, and data uh, driven really to survive in tomorrow's marketplace. And David, in terms of how you how you use customer insight at Centrica when you were there, how you see the industry using customer insight, is that are there any fundamental differences in how companies like Sky and BBC, where you worked previously, are using customer insight, or is it broadly the same and they're just further ahead than the energy sector? There's a whole sort of toolkit um, of techniques, uh, methodologies that can be used and different different solutions are appropriate in in different scenarios. Um, I would say, yeah, overall other sectors are further ahead uh, in its its use, um, but they're always evolving and always changing. uh, And the important thing really is to get the right uh, the right solution for the right purpose. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, David. We'll come back to you uh, shortly. My second guest is my colleague Lodovica Di Diodato. Uh, hello, Lodo. Hello, John. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, thanks for joining. Now, Lodo, you've been synthesizing much of our research uh, that we've carried out over the last years. Can you give our listeners a very quick feel for this research in a nutshell? What the research has looked at and where? For sure, John. So yes, you're right. I've been analyzing the results of three years of customer research at Delta. And we have looked at 50 customer propositions 
In terms of samples, we have involved 5,000 adults across five European countries, uh, which were Italy, Germany, France, the Netherlands, and the UK. And we made sure also that they were all decision makers in the house for topic, um, for topic like energy. And uh, we have tested and compared a number of technology like smart thermostats, smart meters, smart EV charging, smart speakers, but also energy tariffs and services, such as time of use, time of use tariff, PV optimization services, energy data insights, and also various forms of energy community schemes. Okay, thanks Lodo. So let's come back shortly and um, get some of your, your highlights from that. Um, David, I'd like to start with you about the strengths and limitations of customer insight briefly, uh, particularly in the form that Lotto described. So if you're tasked with developing a customer proposition, customer insight won't give you the answers, I guess, but it will help to point you towards the best proposition. Uh, skeptics might use the uh, the faster horse example. What do you, before motor cars were invented, what do you want? A faster horse. People didn't know motor cars were there, so that's a limitation. Um, can you give us a, a high level some of the strengths and limitations that you see customer insight can bring? Yeah, sure, John. I mean, consumers are you know important part of the decarbonisation equation, so we need to bring the customer uh, on that energy transition uh, with us. And to do that, you know, as an industry, we need to really understand them. Uh, and you know deeply understand so what makes them tick you know how they live their lives their energy related needs their motivations their preferences um, and remember of course there's variation between us all so what appeals to you in your home in your life john may be different in my world which may be different again to lotto's hmm. so customer research you know it's not always the answer um but it's a tool uh, and used in the right way it can be a very useful one um, there are, as I mentioned before, sort of dozens of different methodologies of customer research. So we need to select the right one for the right purpose, whether that's customer segmentation, exploring new concepts, or message testing, market sizing, etc. So, you know, we here we have we, we use an appropriate quantitative methodology um, for our customer proposition testing, and we balance the sample size and representativeness with cost effects, cost efficiencies, for instance, and balancing the need to compare across the different propositions with making the uh, questionnaire you know exciting and interesting for the respondents to uh, to complete so we ensure we get good data quality so so, so, so it's a bit of an uh, you, you mentioned earlier the right using the right tools for the right question mm -hmm. so with that type of quantitative research where you may be asking thousands of customers as Lodder described how they react to a certain proposition or how what's important what's most important to them that won't you you can't necessarily take that answer as a definitive this will work this won't work but it will help to point you towards what's more likely to work is that a, i a think i think that's right i mean it, it won't shout out the answer in flashing lights and capital letters but it'll definitely point you in the right direction um, that you should mm. be traveling um, and, and importantly it massively reduces business risk and the cost yeah. of developing propositions in the real world that actually no one wants and course the reputational damage that could that could bring as well as the, the, the cost elements so do that early in the process rather than too far down the process I, I guess exactly, yes. you take yeah. away. 
Okay, now let's structure the rest of the discussion around four points, spending a few minutes on each. So uh, the four points. First, we'll talk about some of the really appealing propositions that have stood out to us. Secondly, we'll talk about the concept of control, which I think will be more and more important as the energy system gets more and more decentralized. Third, we'll talk about long-term contracts. Again, important because we'll see more high-cost items on the customer side of the meter, like heat pumps uh, as it, or batteries as examples. And fourth, we'll look at some of the highlights of variations from country to country. Is Europe the same or are there huge variations if you go from, from Italy to uh, Germany, as Lotto described at the beginning? So we'll run through those four points before we bring out the, the crystal ball. Now, Lodo, let's start with the really appealing propositions. So you mentioned more than 50 propositions at the beginning. Um, what stood out? What's a proposition that tested really well with customers that you're quite excited about? Well, so it emerged very strongly and across all countries, really, that apps or software that allow customers to better understand their energy consumption in terms of which type of appliance is consuming the most and what is the consumption over time, the energy consumption over time, they were really su successful. There was one on three respondents that find that very appealing. Another type of proposition that emerged um, was uh, were the ones around the auto, around auto switching services that would automatically switch the customer tariff from the most convenient in the market or by their energy supplier, the one offered by their energy supplier. So okay. these were the, yeah, the proposition that emerged very, uh, very strongly. So auto switching is emerged in the UK. It's developing in some other European markets as well. Uh, apps around how people use energy. David, that's another aspect of your job is focusing on these kind of apps. Um, is that matched by the take up of these apps across Europe, would you say? Um, sadly, not quite to the extent we would like. Um, you know, it, it is, um, you know, take up is, is strong. We've got sort of 12 billion digital users per month uh, across Europe. Uh, obviously, a huge number more dip in every now and again or downloaded apps right. and so it's successful. But um, there's more to go, more to go, definitely. Yeah. But it shows the appetites yeah. there. Okay. Um, so thanks, Laura. That's a couple of standout propositions that uh, people might find interesting. Second point, control. So why is it important? Well, two reasons, I think. First, appliances can be controlled or optimized not only for customer outcomes, like a warm house, for example, or a, a fully charged EV on your driveway, but they can also be controlled for the benefit of the energy system, demand response, flexibility. Um, so that's one point. How do you marry these two aspects of control for the customer and the energy system? And secondly, we're seeing the signs of more and more outcome-based business models, such as comfort as a service, which entail the service provider having control to deliver customers the outcomes they want. And that involves a third party, the service provider having some control over an appliance, for example. So David, in our customer research, you've seen quite, quite a bit of resistance to this idea or some clear concerns from customers. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, I mean, the word control is a really motivating word. 
but there's a mm. danger of it being sort of misinterpreted. Um, so we need to be quite careful how we, we talk about it. So we all like to be in control of our lives, um, yep. but there's differences between active control and delegated control to technology or third parties. So if you consider um, financial investments, for instance, some people might like to actively manage their investment portfolio and taking the decisions and risks themselves. Some people might like to delegate that either to um, human fund managers uh, to look mm. after, or to sort of automation through through sort of tracker funds and things like that. So but the they same would, they solution with both of them, they they would feel they're in control, just different forms of control, different levels exactly. of control. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think you know we got, we we see the same thing um, essentially in some of these energy uh, propositions. I think the differences between financial services is that there's a huge complexity, a huge variety of things, mm. and people generally don't know much about them, uh, and they're quite intangible. They don't affect your day-to-day -day world, even though it could affect your retirement fund quite quite drastically. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in energy, I think you find these things actually affecting you here and now. You know, you're talking about the, the, the safety, the comfort of your, your yeah. family and your home. So I think those issues are quite tangible, and therefore the, the risks, if you like, are, are seen as higher. Now, that, to pick up on that example of comfort in your home, you could argue that a thermostat is an example of delegated control. So the thermostat will, will control actually when your heating appliance switches on and off, but within the boundary that you've, you've set. So um, maybe, whereas if you posed a question, would you be comfortable with uh, an energy supplier controlling when your heating comes on and off? I guess that might raise a few red flags, or that's what we saw in the customer research. Yeah, no, I think I think that's it. It's I think there are, there are two things at play here. I guess is if you are delegating your control, who is it to, and what's mm. the element of um, either trust or distrust or, or the unknown? Um, yeah. And actually, sometimes technology trumps um, third parties <laughs> um, that have, perhaps have a strong reputation. So I think that that's one thing. I think the other, the second thing there is I think. Uh, over time, there'll be a, a normalization, um, as you mm. say, like smart, you know, smart thermostats become perhaps more normal. Uh, and yeah. I think there's a, a gradual thing there. So I think as, as the customer experience improves, as there aren't any uh, bad incidents, then I think there'll be a, a natural movement uh, in that direction anyway. Okay, and so if, uh, if energy companies are developing propositions around this and very careful use and framing of, of the proposition and very careful about the use of the word control, I think so, yeah, and I think it, it's really just playing out and how it works for different customers. And mm. you know, it could be that the hybrid approach is actually necessary, not just in the short term, with perhaps a, a manual override, um, yeah. you know, possible, but actually just thinking about well, sometimes humans being humans, we, you know, we're, we're not machines. We do think we do want to do things differently, and sometimes our schedules will, will vary. You know, yeah. if you've got a, a a sick child, for instance, you want to make sure you've got enough charge in your EV. To go to the hospital now, not in the morning, for instance, and things yeah. like that. So you need that element of flexibility, I think, as well. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, David. Let's move on. So that's uh, attractive propositions control. Third topic: uh, long-term contracts. So, as I said, if we're looking at high capital cost, uh, low opex solutions such as batteries, heat pumps, etc., we're going to see more and more. Uh, finance solutions, the service provider is going to want a long-term contract to uh, lock in the return on that capital investment. Um, Lotto, how do customers react to the idea of a long contract for something like a heat pump or a battery? 
Well, we have observed that they, were seem, they seem to be still a bit reluctant. So, for example, customer proposition that would propose alternative form of payment, like, for example, eat as a service for eating appliances, so an eat pump, were at the bottom of the customer proposition list in terms of appeal. Okay. Another thing that we have noticed was that there was a drop in appeal for similar proposition. For example, to pay back a PV plus a storage system, we would propose contracts that offer a number of services but will last for like 10 years. And so we definitely noticed like a 10% drop in appealing. Same even with, you know, um, energy tariffs sometimes that have minimum contract period of two years or more. So yeah. yeah, it seems like customers don't like to be bonded to long-term contract. They want to have yeah. the the possibility to drop out, possibly. And I guess we've already seen some companies responding to this. So um, ones that stand out in my mind, uh, EV electric vehicle subscription models, where you can subscribe on a monthly basis to an electric vehicle or an e-bike as well, I've seen, and cancel at any point. Um, or even with heating, which might you might think is a bit more difficult to do that with. Uh, a Dutch company, Econic, is offering a membership-based model where they'll install a heat pump uh, in your home and you can cancel at any point. And the challenge commercially then is how you manage the risk, the exit fees and uh, things around that. David, what's your views on this? Is long-term contracts just a no-no or as with control, does it come back to how you frame it and how you present it and the options you present the customer with? I think it is a bit about framing. I mean, yeah, there is a natural reluctance to be locked into long-term contracts, but then if you're happy with a company, you can stay with them for a decade or more. So, mm. you know, if you've built up that trust already, then it may not be such an issue, uh, but for new customers, yes, it may well be. But I think, as you, as you alluded to, it's a balance I think is needed. So, you know, obviously we can't put all the risk on the companies offering it. It might needs to be a sort of value exchange. So perhaps a yeah. balance between the right mix of upfront costs, contract length, monthly payments, uh, that's right for the consumer is a good one. And I definitely the, the get out option, um, whether it's through exit fees or, um, you know, perhaps a, a change of contract ownership with a home move, or, you know, whatever, whatever solutions that is there, that sort of get out option is, is, um, is, is, uh, is, is valuable for, for customers. Yeah. Okay. So another, I think, interesting example where this doesn't give you a yes or no answer, but it helps you understand customers' concerns that uh, will need to be addressed and companies are already doing that quite well, I think. Um, okay, the last point, variations from country to country. So, Lodo, are all Europeans the same or uh, are, are we really different from Italy, where you're from, to the UK, where, where David and I are from? Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. I think that the thing that stand out was, first of all, cut cultural differences, really. So even in the rate of answers, we did observe different tendencies with the Dutch, for example, being the most conservative in their answers and the Italians being the most enthusiastic. <laughs> then we have <laughs> then we have France, Germany and the UK that have similar rate of answer with the UK respondent with the British respondents being a bit more conservative than the other two in average. And for example, I mean, I can give you like just maybe a couple of example or yeah, like sure. one example for each give country. Give us an yeah. example. Uh, let's, see, let's see where we go. 
Yeah, exactly. So because it is quite interesting. So looking at, let's say, the most successful proposition in each country, um, we have EV smart charging proposition that were really appealing above average in the Netherlands, yeah. while smart thermostats were especially appealing for Italians and German respondents. Then we have smart speakers proposition that were particularly appealing in the UK. And um, lastly, the French respondents found tariff that matches the energy market price. So they will say it's market price, very appealing mm. above average. So yeah, and however, as I mentioned, there was um, the, most, the most successful proposition, the one that I mentioned in the beginning that were really appealing in all these countries. So. Yeah. In in each country, they're, they're really interesting about their energy consumption. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get myself into trouble if I talk about national stereotypes, so I'm not going yeah. to go there at all. But um, fascinating that there are some things that are the same across countries and some things that uh, are quite different. There are, in Europe now, a number of pan-European energy companies, and I think we'll see more of that direction, things go more that direction in the future. David, do you think these companies can really develop a pan-European proposition or is that dangerous thinking? Do you need to do start from scratch in each market or take a pan-European proposition and then tailor it to each market? What do you think? I think it's probably the latter. I mean, the customer research shows that you know, there are propositions that have appeal across a broad um, market range and you know, energy insight apps, you know, example of one of those, and also points to some of the um, the barriers that are again, you know, the same across territories, like the the barrier of installation, for instance, uh, to take up. So we, we we can see that at a concept level, things can work across different markets. But yeah, I think that we need then to tailor an approach to uh, different markets, and it can depend on the different propositions what they might be. It could be because of you know different levels of um, a smart meter rollout. So it could be home ownership levels. You know whatever the reasons mm -hmm. are, there could be market variations. There does need to be some adaptation um, to do that. But uh, but yeah. then I think you're, you've got a, a good place to to have a business that kind of works across territories. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, now, in the interest of time, let's bring out the talking new energy crystal ball. Uh, so putting it next to me on the desk here. Still not patented, so I still can't show it to you, I'm afraid, on the video. Um, now, let's set the dial this week. I've set it to 2030. And here's the question um, with a little bit of explanation to start. So what I think one of the most amazing things about people is how about all of us is how quickly we adapt and embrace new ideas new technology and i remember a discussion i had a year or so ago with a futurologist fascinating discussion uh, and i asked her what do you think we'll be most surprised by today if we can look forward to 2030 so if we had a time machine and dropped ourselves into 2030 what would be uh, what would be we'd be most surprised by and her answer was fascinating she said i think we'll be surprised about how unsurprised we are in 2030. And I really get her point that people adapt really quickly to new technology and new ways of doing things. So David and Lotto, a very open question. How do you think customer attitudes will change by 2030? Or actually, will they not have changed and the change will be more about the products and services that have changed to meet similar customer needs and wants? 
David, do you want to go first for that? Yeah, sure, John. I think there are two things here. Uh, firstly, I think consumers' fundamental needs don't change massively in the long term. So we might yeah. prior reprioritize our values based on a life event like a new baby, but essentially they're pretty constant. So if you look at Amazon, for example, in the retail business, they focused on choice, low price, and speed of service, and they've done that for a lot longer than 10 years. So those mm -hmm. things haven't changed. Um, you know, equally in the energy sector, I would argue that people will always want their family and loved ones to be safe and comfortable in their homes at an affordable price. That won't change. But it's how those needs are met, you know, and the expectations around them, that that's what will change over time. Yeah. OK. So focus on those underlying needs and wants. They'll, they'll, they'll stay relatively constant. Um, Lodo, how about you? So I think... Um, I will look more at the customer attitude rather than at the way that companies would answer to yep. the customer needs. So I do see a future where, so in 2030, I do expect energy customer to be more engaged and more demanding as well. So at that point, consider that we will have a generation of environmental conscious people that have grown up and we represent a big share of energy customer especially in Europe, so we're talking about Europe. And on the other end, there will be um, a bigger renewable energy penetration, and I do see residents actively participating in distributed energy, in, in a distributed energy system. And I see a future where there will be more the use of as a service type of contract rather than a one sale type of purchase especially yeah. for energy appliances. And I do see as well the rebound effect in terms of privacy and control of data in the sense that now that the awareness has been raised on the value of our data, I see regulations and customer association that will want to make sure that data, that the data of their customers are protected and belong to them. So in the end, I think that the key for the customer proposition of the future will be transparency and simplicity because customer will want to make sure that they do understand what the what is it offered to them and that they have the control of what they purchase basically that's a really interesting point Slotto, and yeah. um it reminds me of a uh hearing the boss of fiat speaking at one of the big car shows uh, a while back and uh, a journalist asked him what's most important to customers now, uh, car, what's most important to car buyers, car purchasers? Is it uh, the environmental performance of the car? Is it its speed? Is it its safety? Is it the technology in it? And his answer was, it's everything. Customers want the lot. So uh, I can see that uh, echoed in, in your thoughts as well, um, along with that trust, simplicity, transparency. Um, so yeah, I think a, a demanding journey for energy retailers uh, sure. or service providers over the next decade because customers will be increasing demand, increasingly demanding. And David, as you were saying earlier, other industries have set the bar very high. So, um, but positively, I think there's lots of interesting innovation happening in the market showing that forward-thinking companies, forward companies are up to this challenge. 
David and Lotto, thank you very much for sharing your, your time and your insights. It's been a, a fascinating discussion. Um, so David, thank you. Thank you. And Lotto, thanks very much to you. Thank you very much, John. Uh, as always, thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today and this inspires you to think a bit more about customers in your business uh, and succeed in developing propositions that will fly off the shelf. So uh, with that, thank you for listening and look forward to welcoming you uh, back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.